0: Welcome to Cybersecurity Business. I'm your host, Kevin Pouchet, the COO of KLogix. In our podcast, we interview CISOs and other security leaders to hear their advice on the business of information security. This podcast gives our listeners actionable takeaways to help them increase the effectiveness of their security program. Today, we're joined by Mark Ramsey, CISO of ASA Abloy. For those listeners that don't know, Asa Abloy is the global leader in door opening solutions. Sure. They have operations in over 70 countries and your technology is found in homes and businesses and airports and hotels, I guess you're pretty much everywhere. Yep. And so today uh, we're here to talk to Mark about proactive versus reactive security from his perspective having been an executive in this biz for over 30 years now. So, Mark, good to see you again, and and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, let's kind of jump right into the topic, just to give our listeners a baseline in terms of what exactly this means. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, in your words, how would you define both proactive security and reactive security programs, and and maybe even provide an example of each?
1: Sure. The way I, I... I look at it as um, reactive security is the philosophy that if they come, we will stop them. Right. You know, and the key word being if they come. And this was when we first you know, went know, client server and we started getting more things on, a, on the, uh, the web and that type of stuff that you know, antivirus really had to kick in and uh, protect the network and stop things. So, like, these are a great example of reactive security. It's mm-hmm. watching and it will hopefully stop, but it's already got in at that point and you hope it has the right signature to stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about proactive, its the, its belief is when they come, we will be prepared. So from a proactive perspective, you're saying, yes, we know we're going to get, you know, someone's mm-hmm. going to try to reach us and they may, you know, more likely be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we recognize them fast enough? And do we have enough of the tools in place and processes to uh, be discovered as quickly as possible and eliminate it and, you know, get them out of our network? Mm-hmm. So are we moving
0: to more of an emphasis on proactive versus reactive? And then where, where should that balance be in terms of what percentage of a program should be proactive versus reactive?
1: Yeah, we, you basically have to because our, our tech vectors are now as we you know, put more products on the web and uh, our endpoints out for our employees and our customers on their phones, on you know, almost any device out there, the IoT mm-hmm. is out there as well. Uh, it's more important ever that you have a way to keep an eye on stuff because the more open doors you have, the more chances of someone getting in. So the proactive will, you know, look at it, monitor it, know what's normal, what it sees, and alert you as quickly as possible. Hopefully at the beginning of the attack so you can shut it down or at least um, what we're finding in most regulatory agencies now are looking at, you know, if you say... Uh, yeah, we were breached, that's not a big big deal because they know most companies are. But if you say, well, we're breached eight months ago, we just Mm now found out about it, that's the problem. So you have to be able to say, yeah, we were breached, but we caught it right away, and we minimized damage, and we got them out, and here's what we did. So from a proactive point of view, uh, that should be the lion's share of your work. You should have to have reactive because the reactive says once you've been breached, what are you doing to stop it? Do you have mm-hmm. the tools, do you have the team in place, the processes in place to do that? So um, it's still, React is not gonna go away, it's been around forever. It's evolved, it gotten got better with the tools and the tool mm-hmm. sets, um, and it provides more of the things that your resources need to work and, and kill, because when you get attacked, you need people who are running these tools and, and figuring, knows the business and says, okay, here's where they went, here's what they did, here's what they did. So you still have to have that, but. Proactive allows uh, you to catch it faster, and in some cases, prevent it before it actually really gets into those damage. For you. So, what do you strive
0: for? 70 30, 80 20, somewhere in that realm?
1: Yeah, for us, yes. We, I would. For a large company like ours, 70 30. Uh, and it's kind of an oxymoron because when you look at the small companies and mid sized mm-hmm. companies who mm-hmm. are, uh, if they get breached, the stats say that 50%, uh, 57% of the companies are small and middle sized that get breached. Uh, go out of business within a year because it's basically they don't have the, everything in place to uh, Stop it it's really, a really bad attacks. So they should be more, but they really can't afford it. and stuff. so uh, With them, you know, ideally, you know 50-50 if you can it probably the other way around it's 30-70 proactive uh, There's a lot of tools the vendors are you know as as it mostly happens they come up with the to the big companies first and say we have this product and stuff they realize there's a whole bunch of small businesses that would also profit from this, and they make them you know make it scalable so that a smaller company could afford the tools and the uh, the technologies that are out there.
0: Interesting, because that's one thing that was going through my mind was that you know people that are listening that might have. Limited budget and limited resources, I imagine it's a lot more difficult for them to achieve that 70, 30, 80, 20. And so, you know, what you're saying is it's possible, but maybe more achievable might be might be more 50 more 50 for those organizations. Yeah, I mean,
1: if that side we get to 50 50, you've got mm-hmm. your head of the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Basically, um, and actually, it's more, people don't realize it, it costs more to have a reactive system because mm-hmm. you have to have resources, FTEs, right. people who are uh, using the tools and building it and stuff, and that's more expensive than a technology that's, you know, electronically scanning or mm-hmm. and alerting you. Uh, so it really takes away the resources and just provides you with data. So uh, it's usually less expensive to do the proactive, but it's, it's sometimes hard for people to see that. So those
0: organizations, that are those mid, mid-sized or to large-sized organizations that do have the capacity to get there, where do you think they fail? Really?
1: They fail because um, the company in itself is not ready for proactive. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have, you know, as a company, a you have to have a good data classification process and program that identifies where all your key data data points are, where the located at, who has access to them, so that you can understand what to protect. If you don't know where it's at, you can be putting in this expensive technology protecting public data that's available on your website, and you're wasting money doing that. So, that's to me the first thing. That, uh, it's not really failure, but if you're wasting a lot of money. It's uh, throwing good money out of bad when you basically say, you yeah, know, we're going to do this and we're just going to protect everything because then you're getting way too much data. And the second part that people fail on is they're just getting data and not information. You know, just these products are sending you data, globs of it. And a recent survey of CISOs said that they actually feel that they're getting so much data now from all these products that they're actually less secure than they was before because they're just being overwhelmed. Buy all this data, and they're not knowing. Okay, where do I? Should, where should I concentrate on? Because I'm. You know, this is saying this, and this is saying that. Where's my weakness? Where's my risk at? So uh, that's what the industry's seeing now. It's it's growing pains, and eventually, it's going to sell itself out once it's you know more established.
0: Okay, so so those fundamentals that you mentioned are are key. Mm-hmm. So before an organization even can can think about becoming more proactive, those fundamentals like data classification need to be put in place.
1: Yeah, if you want to be successful okay. and you want to do it with the least amount of cost, you okay. know, that, that you're protecting, what really needs to protect, and the things that don't need protecting, you have minimal you know, minimal uh, stuff watching it for you.
0: So you just mentioned something in your last statement that I've been, I guess, obsessed with lately, and, and that has to do with the clutter of information security companies and products in our space right now, you know, a crazy amount of VC funding. There are thousands of companies and startups in the space right now. And, you know, I think of that from a positive, there's been some terrific advancements uh, with some of these technologies. And I can see how that could aid an organization's ability to be proactive and increase their efficacy. But on the flip side of it, you know, as you mentioned, organizations have so many tools, Many of these tools are not quite operationalized. they're not getting the outputs from these tools, thereby stripping away the value that those tools might possess. So in your opinion, does this this clutter of of technologies, does that help build a proactive program or does it hurt?
1: I think it hurts it. I think really. We, I think there's just two you know when you have that many people coming at you and each one's saying they've got they'll do this, they'll do that. what we'll interface to this? What we'll interface to that? Uh-huh. And you get it, and they're just spewing data back at you, right? And stuff. So there's a few companies out there that are, you know, recognized that you can't just throw it out there and get data. That you mm-hmm. have to understand uh, the ones that work with you and say, "What is your business model?" Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll tell you, "Do you have your data classified? Do you know where your key data points are? If you are, then we can display, you know, deploy the product where it needs to be, and where you get the most value from it." Right. And you know, so the like now it was like when we we came up with the. Um, Client-server and all the security and all these vendors came out and you know saying, you know, Tivoli and everybody says we will do all this for you," and it took a while before you know the, the smaller ones and the ones that weren't really providing servers started fading away, and you had the, the market leaders. It's happening now. It's, it's more and more companies that are just you know being bought up by another company, saying, "You know, okay, we just take their technology, and mix it with ours, so we have now both. So you're not having to buy two products; you're buying one." while I get to scale. so Right, think,
0: so you, do you think there's going to be even more consolidation or more, oh, yeah. more, more yeah. platforms? Yeah, okay. it has to be, because there's, mm-hmm. no, there's
1: no way all of them can can fill the marketplace.
0: So the threat actors are changing, too, right? It's becoming increasingly complex. The notion of insider threat has been introduced front and center. So kind of in your 30-year span here, has the notion of being reactive changed?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so funny because over the over the years, it was always you, when you got the stats, um, it was your biggest threats, insiders. Right. And then for a while there, Gartner was saying, "No, now it's outsiders okay. you know, I'm trying to get in, mm-hmm. and now it's coming back to insiders again, is it?" And to me, I think the definition there you have to worry about is when you say an insider threat. It means someone from the outside got in and is using one of your employees' credentials who has admin rights who shouldn't have it, Mm. and they're using that to attack your network. So it's technically an external, but it's also an internal attack because you didn't have control of your your rights for people to get access to systems. So um, to me, it's... So it's it's, it's
0: the same but
1: different. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah.
0: So once you've made the shift or once an organization has made a shift to be more productive... Um, I'm assuming you have some sort of communication with your board, right? How do you proactively communicate with this to your board? And then the follow-up question: Is it possible to use proactive security as a competitive advantage?
1: Yes, uh, as I said before, proactive is more is is more lucrative. It, it mm. saves you more money. Okay. Because if you do go through a breach, mm. even if you have cyber insurance, which every company now basically has to have now, if you really want right. to survive any kind of breach, but uh, what's, um, what I'm finding is, over my years now, more, more than ever, our board members um, are security, security smart. They understand now. They, you know, they hear all the news of all the breaches, and they're actually coming to me asking me, so we we safe for this? You know, are we protected?" And I can tell them, "Well, yeah, some in, in some ways we could be better." And i will ask, "Okay, what does that mean?" and stuff. So they. Uh, and I think I've uh, talked to my colleagues on uh, these conferences that I speak at, and they're all saying, yes, our board of directors are getting smarter, and they are asking the right questions. That you just can't come up and say, I'd like to buy this. They're going to say, well, how is that going to help me? Hmm. Is it going to protect this? Is it going to protect that? So uh, I think for the role of, C- of the CISO, it's getting a little easier uh, than it used to be when you were just, I need to do the security. do security," because oh, God, I mean, gotta, we'll have to find some funding for them and stuff to do this. But now they're they're asking the questions, and they're actually saying, you know, what are you doing about this? Because mm. uh, we, that was scary what happened to them, and we don't want it to happen to us. So they said, come back to us and tell us what we need to do to fix that. So right. music to us,
0: ears. Mm. So in addition to communicating with your board and being the head of a large security organization here, you also have been a professor at Fairfield University for over 30 years. So yep. I just want to shift gears for a moment sure. and just talk about what, what emphasis do you place on cybersecurity education Within the organization here, within the employees, because you're a professor, does that give you a greater passion
1: for education? Um, yes and no, it does both. I, okay. Because we have, you know, we have uh, firmware developers here for our locks and our systems. So uh, I'm in the School of Engineering, Software Engineering side. So most of my students are software engineers who are mm. going to be programmers. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, I share with them real life things that happen here, mm. what they need to be doing, looking mm-hmm. for it. I've had a couple of students, or a couple of engineers here that were they've been in my class, taking my class at the university, so it's uh, it works out great that way. Uh, what we're finding is, um, as we said, well, I think uh, what we've noticed is everyone says there's a big gap between you know cybersecurity roles and who the number of people who can fill up. The right. Just people not, say there's a million open jobs. Yep, and the gap's getting bigger mm-hmm. and bigger, uh, and the universities, I think, have failed uh, to address that because they're the ones that should be educating the next round of students for this, so they fell a little behind eight ball. They're all catching up now. Uh, you'll see here at Union, Connecticut. Several universities have a cybersecurity program where you can graduate with a master's in cybersecurity. Uh, we just I just started it at Fairfield University. We have our own cybersecurity lab, and we have about five courses that they take in the master's program, along with the basic courses they take uh, to get a, a degree in cybersecurity. So, it's so interest
0: so. Interest it sounds like it's growing within these universities. And oh, yeah. So, I mean, because do they're you think That hearing. will it translate then to more people moving into the space?
1: Yeah. It's just how fast. You know, it's going to be, still be a gap for a while. I know that a couple of businesses here in Connecticut are actually going after high school seniors to work in their socks and stuff. And they offer me, you know, say, listen, come work for us and we'll offer you. We'll pay for your, yeah, really? your college and stuff. It's mm. not. Because they were basically saying, I don't, I can't get any college graduates i not out there yet. Right. Uh, they're more of the people who were like, how I got into security, I was a you know I was a programmer and then a the, uh, program manager and then I took over security and been at ever since. So it's a lot of my colleagues are that way. They didn't get an education in cybersecurity. Right, they it wasn't added on to it. now. So now it's you know they're starting to come out of universities, but they're being scarfed up immediately. Yeah, uh, really bad. Well, I hope
0: you're right in that the interests will have an effect on the number of people entering the space. I think we'll all benefit from that for sure. Yeah. So my last question is always a uh, kind of a crystal ball question, right? Mm-hmm. And I know 5 to 10 years is a lifetime in the world <laughs> of of cybersecurity, but in your opinion, you know, how will the CISO role transform in these 5 to 10 years, you know, and specifically relative to this proactive versus reactive nature of security that we've been talking about?
1: I think now the CISO will have a more important role with the business, to understand mm-hmm. because businesses are trying to get their stuff out mm-hmm. uh, And the more you get it out on the endpoints, the more you need proactive security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're recognizing that. So I think our roles have always been pretty much the same for CISOs. Reduce the risk to the company. Let the business know what the risks are because they make the ultimate decision whether they're going to buy the software or they're going to live with the risk. That's their, you know, their decision. But CISOs hopefully provide them with the information that says, you know, this is, you know, some things you can't because of regulatory uh, issues that are coming up. So our roles have always been the same. Now we've got a more fertile field because the, uh, the people we we're working with, the businesses, are now a little smarter about security. They hear right. everything that's going on and they want to know. They always stop me and say, What about? I just heard they got broken into. How did yeah. that happen? That happened to us. And so it's, I think our role is changing to where we need to really understand the business and understand what they're trying to get accomplished and work with them to get that solution in place.
0: Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the insight. I know our listeners will as well. Um, And as always, you can learn more about this episode as well as other CISO interviews and podcasts on our website, klogicsecurity.com forward slash podcast. Mark, thanks. Great seeing you again.